Welcome to Advent season. We're here. Glad you're here. Um, we are in a season called Advent, um, and Advent is a season celebrated by Christians as a time of waiting for and anticipating this, the, the, the coming of our Lord in Jesus Christ and to look forward to his second coming. And we have been in here for a couple of weeks. Next week, we want to encourage you to come back for our Christmas service. We'll have some different things going on. Encourage you to come back and to bring someone with you. Um, we've also been going over this in our community groups, and I pray that's been a blessing to you. Uh, and so today we're going to continue talking about the shepherds and the wise men. Amen. Before I get into that, I want to ask you this question. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? And don't answer me. Just I want you to think about it in your mind. If, if I can grant you whatever you want for Christmas, what would it be? If it's me, you want to know what I want? I want an unlimited amount of that question. When I watched the movie Aladdin, uh, I was with my kids and we were at an event at our school and I was watching this movie Aladdin and he comes up and he's offering these three wishes. If it's me, my first wish is I want unlimited wishes. I want to be able to get something from my first wish that I really don't have to come back to you for the second and third wish. And why is that? Because all of us have insatiable desires. I want to read a, pass, a quick uh, verse for you in Ecclesiastes verse 1 and verse 8. It says this. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ears filled with hearing. I want to read that again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ears filled with hearing. Here's my question. What brings weariness so much so that someone can't even speak? I want to read to you what Thomas Aquinas says about this. He says, what would satisfy our desires? What would it take for you to feel satisfied? Before I read any further, just think about that for a second. What would it take for you to feel satisfied? What would it take for you to be full of life? Look what Thomas Aquinas says. The answer, everything. We would have to experience everything in everybody and be experienced by everything and everybody to feel satisfied. You would have to eat at every restaurant, travel to every country, every city, every exotic locale, experience every natural wonder, make love to every partner we could possibly desire. Win every award, climb to the top of your field, own every item in the world, etc. We would have to experience it all to feel, okay, that's enough. 
Do you see what Thomas Aquinas is saying? In order for us to feel satisfied for our longings to be met, to be fully satisfied, we would need everything. I remember uh, visiting a church in North Carolina, and it's a, it's a popular church. It's a very large church, and the preacher was preaching. He was preaching about drive and desire and passion, and one of the things he said that caught my eye uh, many years ago caught, or, or, or got stuck in my mind many years ago, he said, I'm satisfied with the satisfaction of never being satisfied. Anybody ever heard that before? And I thought when he said that, man, that is the dopest thing I've ever heard. I, too, want to be satisfied with the satisfaction of never being satisfied. And what he was saying is, I want to work so hard that I never come to a place where I say enough. Always hustling, always going, always getting more, always achieving, always winning. I was like, yeah, I I want that to be me. But think about the ramifications of that, to be satisfied with the satisfaction of never being satisfied. That means you couldn't sit on a Sunday afternoon, stare out at the beach, and think to yourself, God's been good. I am, I am, I am filled with gratitude at how good God's been to me. My, my heart is filled with thanksgiving over what, not saying that you don't want anything else, but if your heart can't rest, we in trouble. And we live in a culture, particularly around Christmas time, that has us hustling and hustling and hustling and has us moving and moving and moving. Some of you all are, are having trouble listening to the sermon because you're thinking about stuff that you got to buy for folk. You're thinking about parties that you have to go to or parties that you have to host or things that you have to get together in order for things to be right for this holiday season. But what Jesus says, he's called us to another way of living. He's called us to come to the end of trying to find satisfaction and stuff that will not satisfy. You can pursue money, as much of it as you want. Whatever that number is in your head that you say that, man, if I get this, it'll be enough. The, the truth of the matter is if you got what you wanted to, you would still want more. You can say, man, if I could just have this relationship that I always wanted, if I could just have this marriage that I always wanted, and you can get the marriage, and you can get the spouse, and you can, you, you, you can have all that, and it still leaves you longing. You can say, man, if I can just be a mother, if I could just be a good mom, that's it. Forget the money, forget houses, all that. I just want to be a good mom. You would put all your pursuit in that, and at the end of that, you'll still be left wanting. Why? Your child was never designed to fulfill you. Good word for parents. Good word for godparents. Your child was never meant to fulfill the longings of your heart. This morning, we need to come to the end of the road. Although we've come to the... So y'all can't seem cool. Let's keep moving. Here's what we're going to learn today. Jesus comes to us all. 
It doesn't matter if you are at the bottom of society or at the top of society. Jesus comes to us all, and Jesus is the only one that can quench the real longing of your heart in my heart. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, verse 20. Luke chapter 8, verse 20. I'll read it for you. It says this. In the same reason, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over the flock. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and laying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of a heavenly host with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which was just as they had been told. In Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea at the time of Herod, uh, was king. After Jesus was born, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked people, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star that uh, shows he was born. He saw it rise in the sky in the east and have come to worship him. The wise man came to the house where the child was with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped. They opened their boxes of gifts they had brought for him. They gave him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to talk from the topic of the gift that satisfies. Number one, the shepherd in us. Number two, the wise in us. Number three, invited to the party. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're present. Thank you that you want to speak to us some wonderful truth you want us to know. We bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What time is it? All right, I didn't forget this time. Let's go. Uh, I remember some, man, 13 years ago, my wife uh, tells me she's not feeling well, and she thinks something is off with her body, and she says, I'm going to take a pregnancy test, so... We're in um, downstairs room at our time. She said, I'm going to run in here real quick and take a pregnancy test. I said, you mean we going to run in here real quick and take a pregnancy test? Because you ain't doing nothing without me. We won. And so we go and we take our pregnancy test together and it comes back. She's, she's pregnant. And it's like, you, you know, when you find out certain kind of news, you just look at the person in the face and you just, y'all just staring at each other because you don't know what to say next. You're shocked. That's what it was for us. And I remember picking up the phone and calling maybe just one or two people that she felt comfortable with. After that, we said, man, we don't want to rely on this little $7 test, right? We want to go get checked out officially. And we went to the doctors, and the doctors confirmed, yes, you are pregnant. And so we told more people. 
Then we had this, this, this baby shower that her boss at work threw for her, an incredible baby shower. Had a lot of people there, and they're all celebrating that this baby is coming. Then on the day that she finally comes, we are jumping in the car hysterically, running to the hospital to have this baby. And after several, several hours of pain and pushing, she delivers the baby, and the doctor lets me catch my daughter. Still waiting for my check in the mail for that. And here's what's crazy is after things had settled down and she got cleaned up and we're sitting there admiring our firstborn, the question hit us, who are we going to tell about this? Now, now, if you're a parent in here, I want you to think about this. Who did you tell? If you're not a parent in here, desire to be a parent, I want you to think about this. Who would you tell if you just had a, an amazing, unforgettable experience of, of having a little child come into this world? Who would you call? Now, there is no right answers. Some people say, I'll call my mama. Other people say, I, ain't, I am not calling my mama. I don't even want her to come up here. There, there is no right answers. But here's what the answer reveals. It reveals those that are very close to you. It reveals those that are very, very close to you. When Jesus is born and the announcement needs to be made, word needs to get out, I am shocked at who Jesus uses to get the word out about the baby being born. He uses shepherds. The promise keeper we learned last week has kept his promise, and who he used to get his promise out are shepherds. You would think if it's me um, and I need to get the word out, I'm going to use the best of the best. I'm going to use the cream of the crop. When, when, when you think about ministry and getting words out about ministry, you're thinking about website, you're thinking about social media, here's what you're thinking. Man, what is my branding going to be like? What is my content going to look like? And how can I get the word out about this ministry as effective as possible? You do that with business. If you're launching a business, you're thinking, man, I got to make sure my branding is right. I got to make sure my images are crisp because I want to get the word out about this business. But God don't work like us. God does not work like us. He uses shepherds to get the word out about him. Now, some of y'all are thinking, what's wrong with shepherds? I'm so glad you asked. The truth is, there's nothing really wrong with shepherds. It's how society views shepherds. You see, shepherds, it was their job to keep the sheep all night long. They had a 24-hour cycle of watching the sheep. They would maintain the sheep and care for the sheep. If, if the sheep got sick, they would pick up the sheep and hold the sheep tight. They would make sure sheep sheeps did not wander away. It was their job to care for the sheep. Now, because of that, they were ceremoniously unclean, which meant that they were not allowed, because they were with the sheep all day outside, they were not allowed to go into the temple for worship. I get the picture of that. They are the outcast of their society. Not just that, they were considered of low reputation. The only thing lower than a shepherd in, in, in the way that they were viewed in that society was that of a leper. And lepers were not allowed to even live in that society. So shepherds were, were, were the low of the low. 
They were longing to be known and seen and accepted and loved. And this is who God uses to get the message out about the most important baby to ever be born. Now, these babies that were on stage are incredible babies. Praise God for those babies. But they're not the most important baby to ever be born. That's Jesus. And when God wants to get the word out about the Savior of the world, look who he chooses. And that should just be some good news for somebody. If it's not good news for you, it's good news for me. That God would choose me, little old me, stuttering me, insecure me, speech problems me, to proclaim his gospel. He uses he can use anyone he chooses to accomplish his will. And, beloved, he can, he can use you too. It's good news. And these shepherds are there keeping the sheep. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. I was driving, and I saw a nativity scene with my kids. And I just pulled over, and we went up to the, the nativity scene. And we started talking through the, the nativity scene. We started talking through the people that we were seeing there. And as we're talking through, we're, we, we're, we're seeing this angel in the background. And I said to my daughter, I said, what would you do if an angel showed up right now? If an eight-foot angel showed up right now with, with, with ten-foot-tall ten uh, wings behind him, what would you do? She said, I'll be scared. She said, you know, the truth is you'll be scared too. When angels showed up in Scripture, usually the first thing they would say is fear not. Like, don't pass out. These shepherds, they, 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 they see this angel, and he says, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. This news will be for all people. This is, this is incredible. If I'm the shepherd, i got to be thinking, who is he talking to? He can't be talking about me. He can't be saying there's great news that he wants me to know for all people. How would they find out if I can't even get in the temple? How can this be great news for all people? The angel is saying it's for all people. That's good news about the gospel. It ain't for black people or white people or Hispanic people or Asian people. It's for all people. It's not just for broke people or people that got money. It's for all people. It's not just for, for young kids or, or, or middle age or older. It's for all people. This is a multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational gospel. He's not discriminating. That's good news if you've been discriminated against. If you've lived under discrimination, and then you hear this word that comes to you and say, I got good news for all people, then my ears are perking up because finally somebody saw me. Today, the Messiah is being born. The Lord is being born. Today, God is putting on flesh and coming in the form of a baby to save the world. That's good news. What manner of love is this that God would love me this way to come down through a little old baby to rescue me? These men have been watching sheep all day, lambs all day, and now there's the news that's coming. There's another lamb coming 
that will be the ultimate sacrifice for sin so you ultimately will be put out of business. He is the sacrifice, talking about Jesus, to end all sacrifices. So he says, I know you're taken aback by this. I'm going to give you a sign. And thank God for a sign. Some of us, we need signs this morning. Some of us need to be convinced that God is calling us. Some of us need to be convinced that God is with us. So how would he know? How would the shepherds know if they find the baby and he tells them? He gives them a sign so that they know they're not dreaming. He gives them a sign to know that they're not crazy. He gives them a sign to know you can trust the words that are coming out of the angel's mouth. And some of you right now, you need a sign. You need a sign that God's going to be with you over the next 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Some of you need a sign that God's going to walk with your kids when you don't get through to them the way you used to be able to get through them. And you need a sign that God's going to be with you. Beloved, your sign and my sign is that baby that's in that manger. That's the thing that shores up our faith, that if God would send his son in the form of a baby, what wouldn't he do for me? And all of a sudden, they're sitting there listening, getting ready to go see this sign. And all of a sudden, the Bible says a host of angels pop up. Now, you got to know what a host is. If you don't know the host, you're like, what, there's three of them, like three angels? You can't number a host. Think about looking at the sky, and from horizon to horizon, there are filled with angels singing and glorifying God. Like, that's the ultimate praise service. Praise team, y'all did good today, but y'all, it, it ain't like what it was like back then. All of the angels rejoicing over the Lord Jesus being born. And it comes through some shepherds. These men were probably very, very poor. These men were probably uneducated. These men probably were very lonely and just trying to make it through the day. And in one night, there's a host of angels glorifying God in front of them. So Rodney, great story, but what in the world does that have to do with me? Glad you asked. Feeling neglected? Alone? Feel like nobody gets you? Feeling like you're outside? Feeling like you're unchurched? You got to understand, if anybody understands what it means to be not church folk, whatever church folk are, because I don't know what they are. In my mind, people that come to church here are broken people in desperate need of Jesus. We ain't got it all figured out. But if you feel unchurched, like, man, the church is here, and then I'm over. The, the shepherds know how you feel. 
And this morning, the good news is the same way God came to shepherds, God comes to us, sinful as we are. Why? Because we need a Savior, y'all. You know, the, the, the shepherds would testify. If I gave them the mic and they came up here, the shepherds would testify, hey, y'all, for real, though, you ain't got to be super religious to get with Jesus. You ain't got to dress up for church to get with Jesus. You ain't got to talk Christian knees to get with Jesus. Just when he shows up, you need to surrender out of obedience. You don't have to know deep theology to get with Jesus. In other words, they would say, don't let your lack of wealth, your lack of education, or your social class be a roadblock to your relationship with the Lord Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, it says it this way, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That's good news for me. God will use what, what some would call foolishness. Do you know, in, uh, in this passage, uh, it is said of preaching that he'll take the foolishness of preaching to redeem folk. This, this right here, even what I'm doing now, this is somewhat foolish. This, this red guy is going to get up here and talk for about 40 minutes. But God will use that to rescue someone because he can use whatever he want to use. What, Rodney, what are you saying? Some of the things we're looking for to satisfy us is not going to satisfy us. And one of the things I love about the shepherds, the Bible says, when they saw this, here's their response. They said, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened here. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. Now, what's crazy about that text is culturally, shepherds did not run. They didn't run culturally. But when they saw what they saw, they ran. Beloved, what would you do in response to all that Jesus has done for you? Point number two, the elite in us. Not only do we have shepherds at this scene, we also have wise men at the scene. Here's a little footnote. There could have been more or less than three wise men. We don't know. The Bible never said it was three wise men. We assume it's three wise men because there's three gifts. But it could have been like many parties, somebody showing up with no gift. These are the elite of our society. These are philosophers. These are not people reared in the Old Testament, so you would probably uh, not look to them be, to be very religious. They were people that were not moved by emotion. Some of us, you're not really moved by emotion. Emotion doesn't do it for you. Like if you're in a room and people start crying, you just say, what is that? Why are you crying? You're, you're, you're not really governed by your emotions. You're more governed, stimulated, turned on by reason, logic. One of the misnomers we have to undo is that Christianity is solely emotional. The wise men are going to help us. In other words, don't check your logic at the door. Don't check your brain in at the door. You can be reasonable in logic and love knowledge and concrete data and still be a follower of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he has more answers than you have questions. His ways far exceed your ways, and your little finite mind does not intimidate him. 
Like he's up in heaven. Oh, my goodness, so much questions they're asking. I guess I can't be God anymore. Bring your questions to him. Thank you, Lord. Bring your, and I was talking to a, a young man uh, yesterday, and he's, 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 he's investigating the faith. And, and he's, uh, he, he told me, he said, Rod, um, you know, I'm just trying to see if this God thing you're talking about real. And he's like, um, he's like, so I was sitting here, and I was just saying, God, if you're real, you know, you're going to have to show me something really, really clear. He's a barber. And so he said, Rodney, uh, I said, God, you have to speak to me something that I know is from you. And so the next person that come in his chair and cut his hair is, is a pastor. He's a local pastor in Boca. And he starts talking to him about God. And he's like, yo, that's crazy. And then my, the, the, the next appointment is me. And so I'm following up from a previous conversation. So, so, so have you been thinking about reading about yo this is this is insane like god is in other words he's not afraid of you testing the waters with him that's that's so good that's that if you if you would just make one step you'll see him show up in your life you'll see him start ordering your steps start making your way he's not in a rush to redeem you we're talking about this in our in our d group and sometimes we share our faith. We try to make sure that person just, just, man, understand everything about God in one session. They got to be transformed in 30 minutes. And many times God is saying, it's going to take a lifetime to do what I want to do in your life. So you're, you're, you're sharing your faith. It's not a one and done thing. It's a over and over and over again sharing the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. These wise men, they were smart, y'all. They were scholars. They sat under the best of teachers. They were well-cultured. They were dignified. They were, uh, dare I say, a little uh, sedity. They were, they were well-cultured. They, they understood the arts. They were influential. They had money. Rodney, how do you know that? They had money. How do you know? Well, they traveled somewhere close to 1,000 miles to get to Jesus. It would have taken them arguably four months to get there. Now, who you know can go on a vacation for four months? People with money. What I love about these men is that they understood their resources did not hinder them from Jesus. Their resources helped fund them towards Jesus. They didn't have too much money to be a Christian. See, some of us... I, some of us think, man, if I become too successful, I really, I don't got time to fool with Christianity. Because ain't Christianity for, like, broke people? Ain't Christianity for people that ain't got no means that need to, to, to pray to God to deliver them? Oh, I'm so glad for this church. There's some people in here doing their thing in the secular arena. 
There's some folk holding it down in this church academically and in their careers. It's some people that understand my education is not my Lord. It's a tool. There's some people in here that understand my career is not my, my, my everything. It's a tool in which God calls me to serve him even more effectively. That's what the wise men remind us. If I gave them the mic, if they came out the back and grabbed the mic, here's what they'll say. Jesus loves educated folk too. Jesus loves people that use their mind reasoning the deep truths about theology and God. We got to stop letting the world take stuff that belongs to the church. Stuff like mindfulness. It's a new phenomenon. Let's just be mindful. LeBron James, I love him. He came on saying, the question was asked, how did you get through so many years of basketball playing at such a high level? Here's his response. After 2011, I really start minding my mindfulness. I started getting rest. I started, in the middle of games, finding 10 seconds to be still and think. Mindfulness. That ain't nothing new. The Bible says, I give my beloved rest. Jesus would say, rest is a gift, a gift I give to my believers. The Bible said he doesn't just give you rest to where you're asleep. He gives you rest that your soul can rest in. Rest, that's called Sabbath. That's called something he's called Christians to participate in where you take a day out of the week and you shut down and rest. Trying to be quiet, that's called contemplation or reflection. That's called meditation out of Psalm chapter 1. Beloved, this ain't nothing. Oh, wow. You know, I need to stop the church stuff. I need to be mindful. All that is is trying to do the stuff that Jesus said without Jesus. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. And even after all your mindfulness, one day, something's going to hit you, your mind can't handle If you, finite, are not tethered to the infinite, you'll crumble. The wise man would remind us, you don't have to check your income in at the door. Every church ain't trying to get your money. Preach, Rodney. Matter of fact, when you understand how money works, God ain't trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something to you. There's something ultimately destructive about this stingy heart. You don't have to check your influence in at the door. You don't have to check your notoriety. You don't have to check your resources. You can come as noble as you are. You don't have to have some crazy testimony. Well, I was, I was strung out on drugs and 
I was in this corner and I was ODing and then all of a sudden uh, the police came in and I had 27 years to life and, and I was about to go in an electric chair and then all of a sudden I saw a little light in the corner of my cell and I knew right then it was time for me to get, you don't need that. If you have it, praise God. But one of the things we've done in the church is we have discounted folks that have come in and said, man, when I consider what all God has done, God, you... If, I just want to surrender my life to him. And maybe you grew up in a middle-income family. And you, you don't have the, 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 the story. You, you, you all know the story. They would tell you, the wise men would tell you, yo, you can just come. You could have gone to the best of schools with a 4.0 GPA, graduated top of your class, and still be a devout follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Rodney, what's needed? Matthew 5, verse 3 tells us this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is there. All right, so Rodney, so what do I need to know? In other words, here's who gets the kingdom. People that understand you're broke. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing I can do to save ourselves. There's nothing you can do to stop your sin. There's nothing you can do to earn God's righteousness or God's favor. You are broke. You are bankrupt. You can't save yourself. You are a mess and you know it. You can't fix you. You know, you know you can't fix you. If you could fix you, you would have fixed you, but you can't fix you. You're in need of someone to save you. And as long as you sit there and say, I don't need nobody to save me, you will come to bankruptcy. Preach, Rodney. Either on this side or when you see him as he is, your knee will bow, preach Rodney. Your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So why not do it now? Why not bow your knee now? Why resist him when he's calling you? When you are clear that he saw everything you've ever done and he's still calling you. He sees every mistake that you have ever made and he's still calling you to himself. Let's be clear. If you are under the sound of my voice, he's beckoning you. That's why you're here. You didn't just show up here. You got, God's, uh, God's designed this moment for you. You will understand how bankrupt you are. Rodney, why am I bankrupt? Because God said there's a way you're supposed to live, and you have not lived that way. Rodney, how come God get to tell me how I, how I can live? Because he's God. When you create your universe, come up with your own rules. He's God, so he gets to make the rules. You broke them. And the punishment for you breaking those rules is death. It's eternal separation for God. But God, in his loving kindness, has sent this baby that would grow up and, and save the world from their sins if you would repent and put faith in him. But you first got to understand 
that the kingdom is for the poor in spirit. Finally, who gets invited to the party? Great question. This scene is incredible. You have shepherds that come to this, this room where they just had a baby. You don't let everybody in the room when you just had a baby. You, you got to be close. If you in the room when somebody just had a baby, you got to be family or close to family. Amen? But can you imagine Mary all of a sudden, all these people bum rush her room? You got the shepherd, bless God, bless his heart, but he smelled like sheep. He all hysterical. He just saw an angel. He running out of breath. Hey, Mary, are you are you Mary? All I got to tell you is because he ain't used to running, so you know they're out of shape. You got the rise man coming on their camel. You know, they, they got paper. So they just step out of their Tesla and the doors open up like this and they ease out with their Yeezys on and they just, yo, okay, I'm just checking the scene, just checking the scene. Bought some gifts for the baby. Okay, just make it some. This is a crazy scene. Then you have Joseph sitting there looking at the baby thinking, this baby don't look nothing like me. I'm telling you. All these men in here are one of these brothers, the, the, the daddy. I mean, is that why you're here playing? Because you you got visitors from all around. Listen, the city is packed. People go out just walking. And you know how people are when they see something and they just walking by, but they see something. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Would you get out my room? Who are you? Who invited you? You got all these people at the scene. You got animals just walking around, you know, just doing their animal stuff. This is a crazy scene. But here's what we understand as we think about this scene. Look at the diversity in the room. <laughs> Look at all that diversity. What you see at the nativity scene is this. You get a snapshot of what heaven's going to look like. You got people that are unchurched, ain't been to church, can't go to church because they're shepherds. You got wise men who didn't grow up in the faith, but they've been following this star, and they found this baby. You got this young teenage girl that just gave birth and is just pondering things in her heart. What you see in this snapshot of the nativity is the beauty that Jesus has come to bring us into. All sinners come. From all different histories of sinning come. Remember, this is good news for all people that a Savior is born. So what do we need to do, Rodney? You bring Savior's gifts. Even if you're following idols that's not going to fulfill you, you bring them gifts too, don't you? You bring coach gifts. You bring Nordstrom gifts. Call your credit card in Jesus' name. But these wise men, what do they bring? They bring gold. What does gold represent? Gold represents the divinity of, of Jesus. They bring they bring. They bring their resources. They bring their money to Jesus. When, when, when Jesus was dedicated, Mary and Joseph, they didn't have much. They were poor. And so they offered uh, the, the offering of the poor, which was turtle doves. They didn't have a lot of money. The wise men had money. So what did they bring? They brought gold. The, the, the issue is not how much do you bring. The issue is do you bring your best to Jesus? 
Am I faithful in giving? Not just gold, frankincense. Frankincense is what was used. It's a rare, uh, costly fragrance that is used in worship. It is what they use in the tabernacle to, to, to bring the scent into the, to the tent. In other words, I bring gold, yes, but I also bring my worship, and my worship is not the song. It's all my life. It, my, my, my parenting is my worship. My work is my worship. How I live is my worship. How I do recreation is my worship. All of life is worship to a God that was so gracious to me. And then lastly, they brought myrrh. And myrrh is a fragrance that's used to put on dead bodies. Now, that don't make sense. Why would they bring a fragrance of myrrh to the birth of a baby? Why would they bring something that would remind people of the stench of death at a birth? It is an indication for us to remember why this baby is born. This beautiful baby is born to die for us. 